What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark DeVoe. And I'm Mark State. And as always, a whopping great thank you to all you wonderful people out there who keep this podcast going with your support. Uh, if you want to support the podcast, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. There you can find hundreds of hours of extra material, good stuff that, that we keep behind for you, special people. Uh, and there's all sorts of deep dives on extraordinary subjects that are just going to make you a better writer, frankly. And if you want me and Mr. D as your coaches pop over to academybestsellerexperiment.com for the bestseller academy there you're going to find an amazing community of people all doing great courses and sharing work and doing amazing things and i tell you hang around at the end because we've got so much good news from academates this week in the social media wins you're just going to go well it's a no-brainer i have to sign up it's as simple as that so you know do it now anyway mr d how are you I'm doing I'm doing great, Mark. We have got crazy rainstorms, something called an atmospheric river. Never heard of that, but it means tons of rain. And bears climbing into <laughs> climbing over our fence, just literally crushing them. They just like whatever. Oh. <laughs> and yeah, so tons of repairs to do today. It's a bit bonkers. And I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that we don't get any telegraph poles collapsing on us whilst we do this podcast, because that has happened in the past. <laughs> and we've had a few a few power outs here. But yeah, exciting times. It's like nature at its but you know, people always say, Oh, it rains so much here. And then you remember that like West Canada and particularly, you know, Vancouver Island and Vancouver area where I live, it's a rainforest. So like I think we just, it used yeah. to be just solid rainforest. So we're living in a rainforest. So what would we expect? But yeah, it's yeah. it's 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 amazing. Lovely time of year though. I love this time of year. Mm. Um and you've got a lot going on this time of year as well, haven't you? Yes, I got a whole bunch of events. Now I because what I've realized, it's taken me seven years to figure this out, is that people don't necessarily listen to the podcast on the Monday that it comes out. Some of them listen to it a week later. I've had a couple of people, they've heard about events, they're going, oh, I wish you'd mentioned that earlier. So I'm just gonna I'll put a link in the show notes because I, I keep all my events on a, a page on my on my blog. But I've got a whole bunch of things coming up. So I'm gonna be at the MCM Comic Con at the end of October, 27th to, to 29th. I've got a table the whole weekend selling uh, my books there. I'm uh I'm doing Doing on the 2nd of November, I'm doing an interview with the author Leslie Ann Jones about her book Fly Away Paul, which is about Paul McCartney and Wings, which is absolutely brilliant. That's at the Little Green Bookshop in Herne Bay. Then, as part of the British Library's fantasy series of events, Fantasy Realms of Imagination, I'm doing two Surrey Library events. So on 16th of November, I'm going to be at Guildford Library with A.Y. Chow, Alice Chow, who's been on this podcast, and Jen Williams 
who's been on this podcast. That's Guildford Library, 16th of November. And then on the 30th of November, I'm going to t- be talking to the man, the legend, Robert Rankin at Hawley Library oh. as well. So there's wow. a whole bunch of events. Um, like a world yeah. tour, mate. There's <laughs> a lot going to, on in November. You're going to get yeah. T-shirts put up. Like, <laughs> Guildford Library, Hawley I'll be Library. Selling, yeah, I'll be selling merch. Don't worry. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant! Wow, that's that's exciting. But yeah, there's a link in the show notes to to my diary, and it's all fantastic. Nice. Yeah. Busy month. And do you know what I was doing this morning at six o'clock in the morning? You know those mornings where you I wake dread up, to and think. Your mind is yeah, I know, right? My mind was just exploding <laughs> with ideas. I wrote a dream declaration, Mister Stay. Oh, let's have it. Let's no, it. no, I can't give it to you right now. Oh. It's in it's in draft. And it's and it's it's way too massive. I mean, it's ridiculous. Such a tease. No, I, I tell you what, though, I'm gonna. I am. I know people are thinking like you're never gonna tell us anything. I am. I'm gonna start starting next beginning next year. I'm gonna start a reveal of what's going Bring on here. Up. But I just want to just to excite people. Okay, I, I'm. I'm going to put myself, I mean, we've talked about doing this nonfiction book for, you know, over the last couple of months and, and really going to, you know, I, I put out a call to nonfiction authors this week, people mm-hmm. in, on the podcast, audience members, listeners who are interested in writing nonfiction book. And what I've decided to do is I want to bring 12 people with me on this journey who also want to write their nonfiction book alongside me. And I've had people have started sending in little applications. They tell me a little about their book. And it's so exciting to see how the different ideas that people have come up with. And, and, and the focus is a book that you want to change someone's perspective, a book that you might want to change um, someone's viewpoint, or even a book that might in some way change the world in a little way. So that's the focus. So if you're interested in joining me, it's going to be absolutely bonkers and and it's going to be like we did the first season it's going to be this year challenge how do you know can i write the book in a year but bringing people along with us it's going to just very be- very exciting now let me just get let me see if i've got this straight so you are going to be leading 12 disciples <laughs> you're going to change the world so uh c- can i be judas <laughs> yeah actually i hadn't thought of it like You'll that have to grow why... beard. yeah 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 oh, maybe my attire will start to change on the podcast over the next few weeks and, uh... <laughs> I know. Well, look, if we're gonna if, if... <laughs> oh my gosh yeah well you know um i think we'll be handing out disco crisps or or maybe um or maybe nachos or something but no it's um actually to, uh, you know what i say 12 I say 12, it, maybe it could be 13, maybe it could be seven. Um, it depends how many people want to do this. But the, the fact is, is I think, I think it's going to be fun to bring some people along the journey yes. because I can kind it's of talk a little bit about what they're up to. And, and the breadth of ideas is just blowing me away already. So I really want to hear from you if you're interested. It's for people who've like either, you know, they've always had ideas of something they've wanted to write. Like me, you know, it's like they want, okay, now is the time. You've got to get yeah. this book done. And this is where it is, where I'm at in life. I've just got to get this book done now. It's like my mission. It's got to happen. So yes. yeah, get get over to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com and click on the nonfiction button at the top of the page. There's a little um, button where you can kind of do send it, me do a it, message. Do it, because we need, yeah. we need change for good in the world at the moment, do we not? Well, this is partly where it's coming from. You know, as, as I've been working on this for the last six months as kind of concepts ideas um obviously the ukraine war has been carrying on for, for a long time but then stuff that's happening in israel right now and, and palestine is just i think it's a little bit overwhelming for people yeah, and then yeah. you chuck that's into chuck into everything 
uh, chuck in the you know the economy situation people are struggling there's there's just a lot of heaviness and what i want to try to do is create a tiny little bit of you know counterbalance on the other side um i think that's one of the ways that we can respond to this you know mm. everyone's saying i feel helpless i don't know what to do well come out into the world and tell a, a positive story that might help people that might shape and change the world and you know it will have an effect over time if everyone gets out there and starts writing their book it does have an effect as we know i mean i think about all the books i've read and you must feel the same Mark, all the books i've read that have really shaped how i think and and educated me about the bigger pictures out there and and this is like this is really important stuff this mm. is um so yeah I, I i'm excited and i'm feeling incredibly inspired and motivated but man this dream declaration is I mean, you're going to laugh when you hear it because you're going to be like, it's, it's ne you're never going to ever do that in a million years. But you know what? I'm going to think, I'm just going to go for it because life's too short. So anyway, Good. I will reveal all this, folks. Just stick with the podcast. I'll reveal this drip feeding over time as I work it out myself. <laughs> but yeah, brilliant Looking stuff. Anyway, talking, talking of crazy big stuff, our guest this week has... I oh, just cannot, cannot believe the story that you're about to hear, folks, and the accomplishments um, that our author has made. So tell us about this week's guest, Mark. Uh, this week's guest is Ivy Niao, who was born and raised in Malaysia. She's a multi-award winning author. Her latest novel, The American Boyfriend, was long listed for the Avon X Mushens Entertainment Prize for Commercial Fiction for Writers of Colour 2022. She, Ivy is a musician. She's as well as fiction, loads of fiction. She's written non-fiction cookery books, diet books, interior design books. She sells tie-in merch for a fiction. She is a powerhouse of creativity, and this was such a fun interview. And we discuss, amongst many other things, we discuss the effect of moving into a house full of books when she was just a child, why she's okay with rejections, and why there's more to writing than just typing. Fantastic. You're going to love this interview, folks. Let's uh, settle in and have a listen to Mark chatting with the absolutely wonderful Ivy Niao. Ivy Niao, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today? I'm feeling great. Thanks very much, Mark. My absolute pleasure. Now, you've got a fantastic new book out, The American Boyfriend. We'll talk about that in a second. You've also had an extraordinary career to date. Uh, we'll talk about music as well. Very excited to talk about that, plus your writing routine and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, tell us about The American Boyfriend. The American Boyfriend is my Asian domestic psychological thriller. Um, which I wrote uh, two years ago in November 2021. It's uh, got a um, Asian female protagonist who goes abroad to meet her online paramour, the titular boyfriend, and uh, gets into serious danger. Excellent stuff. And it's uh, that, uh, listeners, I'll put a link in the show notes. There's an excellent little trailer for this as well, which you've, you've put together. Um, what I love about this, the story is, it's it, it's a, it's a very very commercial thriller. It's really really page turning stuff. But there's there's a there's a kind of a mother daughter going thing going on there, isn't there? Because Phoebe, the main character, her mother is kind of very. She doesn't. I don't think she actually appears in the story, but she's very present in the story as well. Can, can you can you talk about that a bit? She's like a character who never appears but appears yeah. in. Um, 
in every almost in every scene in in yeah. every chapter that because she's really close to her mother and because um her mother comes from an immigrant uh background um she she feels that um uh, it's something that brings them together because she's now also in her her third culture which you know she's she's no longer in Malaysia or China mm-hmm. she's in the UK and now she's trying to navigate her fourth which is the american culture so she feels quite um alienated and isolated so the voice of her mother becomes especially strong and now that she's middle aged even though she doesn't really like it she's turning into her mother and she knows this because <laughs> she's thinking the same things when she looks at her daughter so it's transferring down yeah i think it's, uh, <laughs> what, whatever culture you're from that's a very relatable fear that you're turning into your mother or turning into your father it's, it's... there's always a, that feeling as well like we are all a bit afraid of our mothers aren't we a bit yeah. even if we are very close to them and especially if you're very close to them you're definitely going to be afraid and um wondering what you should do in certain situations and also uh what if they don't approve mm-hmm. you know because usually they won't approve like whatever you're thinking of Cut that out because you know you're not going to get the approval from from back home. And this idea of moving to another culture, and as you say, in this case, it's her fourth culture. She's moved to Florida, and yeah. there are all these kind of things that may seem every day to Floridians. The idea of just being able to go into a supermarket and buy a gun and things like that. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. Talk about how that uh, that came into the story. Um, I think that as somebody who um, is not very familiar with this guy, uh, but decides to take the plunge. Um, she, I think that she wants to take the uh, the chances because she's really interested in him. Therefore, she's prepared to accept this culture that is strange. Mm-hmm. And in, in Florida, in, in Key West, the uh, motto is where the weird go pro. So <laughs> if she knows it's going to be a little bit weird. And she was totally surprised when she sees the... Um, the gun cabinet in the supermarket. Mm. So she started to wonder, as I did when I first saw that, that this is, um, you start to accept that this is another culture's reality. Mm. It's their daily reality. You can buy a a sandwich and milk and a gun Mm. all at the same time, you know, on your lunch break. And it's so easy. And anyone who, who, who has the means can acquire a gun. So, um, I think that's the fir- her first realization that she's somewhere very strange. Extra stuff. Now, the American boyfriend, I think I'm right, is your fifth novel, and you wrote it with a competition in mind. Is that correct? Yes. Um, I entered the Writers of Color competition, which was organized by Avon's and Martians Entertainment, mm-hmm. um, and I got on the long list of twelve. Uh, and uh, it really gave me hope because I thought that that means that I really should sharpen it up. And this this prize was for commercial fiction, so I thought, okay, we're you know we're halfway there. So I'm going to like um, I'm going to make it much better than what it was when I submitted it. Okay, because you mentioned commercial fiction there. I, I was going to say, was did the competition sort of give you some? impetus to write something that was more commercial than what you'd written before or was this something that you'd always wanted to do um i think commercial fiction gets a bad name doesn't it the word commercial is not good it's like um it's like a mall isn't it commercial center right it if it feels mercenary 
Um, but I think that it's it's actually another word for popular fiction. It's very popular. I mean, we watch TV. I mean, who doesn't watch TV? We watch TV. We we watch movies. They're commercial. Yeah. So I I feel that you know I feel that that's something that appeals to me because I love um, strong gripping narratives, um, and and uh, stories that we as regular people can relate to stories about ordinary people. I think that's that's essential in commercial fiction. Absolutely. I saw a lovely uh, video on your Twitter feed recently where you saw your book in the WH Smiths in the Departure Lounge. Was it at Singapore Airport? Yeah, uh, it was, and, yeah. And you're talking about how you'd grown up seeing books in airports and always wanted to see your book in an airport. Tell us about that moment. And again, listeners, I'll put a link in the show notes so you can check it out. So I, um, I, I, I did my first flight at 12 with my mum and we went to Bangkok. And uh, I know it sounds very far away, but I grew up in Malaysia. It's like saying I flew to France. I mean, it's near. It's just the next country along. So it was really exciting. And like, it was the best thing. And I, I can still feel that the takeoff, the buzz of leaving the ground, leaving the ground behind you, leaving everything behind you. And you're just trusting everything to the pilots and to flight, which is like a, it's a miracle in itself. Mm-hmm. So I, I still feel that each time and I, um, I, I travel and I feel that it's, um, it's so exciting. There's nothing like flying. And, um, and when I, when I was an adult and saw, um, commercial fiction <laughs> in airports, I thought I would love that. I mean, I would love the fact that you are somewhere else, you're, you're between countries and you can find something to, uh, in, in which you could escape, like, uh, you know, books. I mean, I mean, I think there's so there's so much perfume and cigarettes you could look at. <laughs> so I thought, yeah, they're all the same, right? So I, you know, well, books are so exciting, and each time there will be different books. Each time you fly, it's not like the same Chanel or whatever. It's each time you're going to get different books, and it, and to mm. me, it's so exciting. So um, always wanted to see my books in an airport, and I I wondered how it's done. I had no idea, like who who buys them, how do, how do they get in an airport? So that. That day was very special because I got to go through the um, VIP or staff route, whatever they're called, yeah. and got ushered down some you know corridor, and then suddenly I'm I'm out there again in in the um, in the the area with the shops, the um, what, what do you call that? The Air side area, the duty fr- the duty, duty free, free yeah. yeah, yeah, the duty free, yeah. Fantastic, and you were there signing, and they were piled high, weren't they? You were signing all those books. I was signing them all because they were for other airports. The the pile high bit was not just for that shop they would be like you know distributed they would be divided up and taken to the other airport shops and uh, and I thought this this is so exciting I actually talked to passengers who were saying I think they probably thought I was a vandal because I was like signing them <laughs> it was like where's security you know where, what's, what's this woman doing you know um so I, I I signed them and I had a chat to passengers and and they were they were amazed that they'd never met an author in an airport. And to me, that that day was also interesting because it, WH Smith said that they've never done this before either. This mm-hmm. is weird to, um, you know, the airport security and everything, like yeah. to get through to to do it, it, it you know, unusual. Yeah, it is unusual. I, I can tell you, as someone who worked for a publisher, I can tell you it's oh. very difficult to get 
books into airport stores because they're there's such restricted space. They only take things they think are, and I'm going to use that dirty word again. Oh yeah, commercial. <laughs> the C word. The C commercial. Word. <laughs> but let's let's. Uh, I mean, you hit the Straits Times bestseller. Li- lists on the opening week and you were tied with Colleen Hoover. I mean, that's off to an incredible start. And then you did a a book tour of Southeast Asia. So you you must be just over the moon with the reception. Oh, yeah. I I thought it was a very heartwarming experience, really special. Um, And and, and something that I kind of never dreamed of. I wouldn't say I've always dreamt that I'm going to go on this tour. Like it's something that I've never dreamed of. I, I never expected uh, the reception and every single event I had that usual author's fear that no one's going to turn up or three people are going to turn up and they can't leave because I can see them. I see those three <laughs> people. <laughs> it was awful. The awful fear each time. And uh, thankfully, I mean, that happened. That, that did, sorry, that didn't happen. Um, it was packed. The, the venues were packed and I had loads of questions, loads of people selfieing and lots of signing. And it was very celebratory. I mean, I just felt like um, I was part of them and they were part of me. I, I'm part of that community. Fantastic. You know, that they were celebrating my book with me. Brilliant. Fantastic. Let's go back to where it all started, uh, Ivy, because as I understand it, you moved into a new home when you were a child and the previous owners had left all their books behind. Tell, tell us about that. Um, yeah, uh, I was nine and we moved into this uh, this big house. And uh, it's a little bit rundown. It's really old, 1949. I mean, I'm not. it's not like some glitzy palace. It's a rundown uh, old house from the late 40s. And um, the old owner was a lawyer. And I, I don't know what happened. He must have moved to another country because he just left everything behind. And right. he had a floor to ceiling of bookshelves. Wow. The, uh, yes, floor to ceiling. And they were filled with books. But unfortunately, they, I, I read them because I thought, well, this is it. This is my library. I might as well read them. But they were really boring. They were like, you know, <laughs> his, the history of Malaya from ni- 1880 to 1948 or something. It was just like that kind of book. And all his law manuals and texts. Um, I just thought this is very boring. I think I need new books. This is, you know, I don't think I'm going to read. Oh, yeah, there was atlases as well. So I got very interested in like, you know, the places all over the world. I, I started to travel using just my eyes and my mind. Um, uh, it was it was quite, quite eye opening, and um, I think it was Paul Theroux who said that the most luxurious place is actually in your mind. So if you can if you can travel with your eyes, you you've been there, and I I just I really it um kind of resonated with me because I I first traveled in that room like reading all these books. Uh, there was a, a few novels as well, and I think there was some salacious stuff like oh commercial <laughs> stuff uh, from the like you know those sort of like very luridly uh um described uh sort of fifties pulp fiction. Right. That the lawyer had left behind, so I read those as well, and probably not 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 really suitable for me because by then I was twelve. By the time I got through all these books, I was like twelve, and my mum signed me up um, during the same time uh, to a library. So I got my first library card, and and I think that that's when I thought hey, these books are much better. I, I think there's <laughs> there's more than there's more to life than law. 
<laughs> what sort of stuff were you reading? What sort of stuff were you bringing back from the library? Um, I I started off like a lot of kids reading uh, children's um, fiction, like Enid Blyton, um, you know, um, Agatha Christie. I started to read a lot of mysteries because I, I felt that um, I felt that that was the progress from children's fiction, like solving crimes and all that. You, then adults solve crime. So I, I, I just felt that that was a natural progression. And, uh, and also later on, when I was a young adult, a lot of literary fiction. I read Virginia Woolf, Ernest Hemingway, uh, Harper Lee. I, I read a lot of uh, the, the usual classics, modern classics. And I believe your storytelling career started when you were telling stories to entertain your brothers. Is that correct? Oh, yes, I did. So during the time when we were in this house, um, my brothers obviously can't really read the law books. So <laughs> I um, I decided to illustrate and tell them stories. And I drew diagrams and stuff. Um, and, you know, at the same time as joining the library, because I used to bring home books as well. And, you know, when they were no good, I used to retell the endings like, oh, yeah, they, no, they, they survived. They're, they're all fine. <laughs> yeah, the princess did not get married. Oh, I, I used to just make it up, thinking that well, they can't read and they love stories, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to make some improvements here. Okay, very good, excellent. And moving on from that, when did you start writing seriously? When when did the the bug really take uh, your writing bug? Um, I, I started when I was 16 um, and I entered a, a national competition in uh, the New Straits Times short story competition. And it, in those days, uh, I say in those days, like I'm really old. It's not, not that long ago. Not that long ago, there was no such thing as YA. I mean, it's uh, you're either an adult or a child. Yeah. Basically, if you're after 12, you're like... It's adult fiction. There's no, yeah. there's no YA. So I uh, entered into the adult category because I was 16, and I, I was very chuffed that I was uh, highly commended. I think there were only like 50 which were highly commended, and then the usual first three prizes or whatever. So I thought, hey, that's not bad. I'm, you know, in the 50. So um, the, the, the prize is not really a prize, but it was just a trip to a writer's workshop in KL in Kuala Lumpur. So it was my first time and my, and my parents had always been very, very supportive and encouraging. And um, even though I was 16, they bought me a ticket to go to KL on my own. I, I went there as a 16 year old. I don't know whether it's allowed now. I, I'm not, I think probably. You could take a train to like Liverpool or whatever, couldn't you? Like yeah, alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was the distance, like going from London to Liverpool, like, you know, quite a long way. And uh, to do this weekend workshop. And what did you um, learn there? Did, what happened there? What, what? Um, I think it's probably wasted on me because I was 16 and the, the rest were just middle-aged people who, who <laughs> ha, ha, were highly commended. So I, I have no idea what was going on. And then after that, they went out and got pissed. So <laughs> that's that's my whole memory of the workshop. Like, okay, talk about characters and plot. Hey, let's go to the pub now. We're done. And I'm like, okay, but I, well, I can't. And so I, I think that it, yeah, I, I, I think maybe, maybe it was not the right, I don't know, age group or whatever for right. me. Yeah. And I think that put me off. I didn't write for a long time because when I went to uni, I don't remember re um, writing a word. I always read, but I don't remember writing a word until um, um, a, 
a long way off. Like, and then I started submitting again short stories, uh, probably um, during the time when I was working. Mm-hmm. Mm. I was going to say, um, talking about writing and then going out and getting drunk, that does at least set you up for crime festivals and things like that. That's basically how they operate now. So. Well, now I realize that is the training. That's the workshop. <laughs> exactly. Talk yes. about characters, talk about settings, and that's it. Yeah. We're done now. Off you to know, the pub. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> am, I, am I right as well that because this is a sort of a family business, is it right that your father critiqued your early work as well? He gave you feedback. Um, I think they both did because my father was a big reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he read the law books. I mean, he wasn't, but he he did like to read my my work. And my mum was very helpful too. She she used to type up my stories. I used to dictate to her um, when I was a teenager. She 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 doesn't really um, read my work or critiques. My dad did that, but she did the 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 backup. Like she really supported me. Like she was on board the train ticket and she typed up my work. And she can't even type. She was using two fingers on the Olivetti. She can't type and she was doing it. But she was correcting like my grammar. She was correcting me as we went along. We sort of self-edited. That's amazing. It's amazing. I didn't realize that that was writing. I always thought that I thought it was typing because I thought (laughs) that the writing was like the storytelling bit, like what I was doing with my brother, like writing by hand or drawing diagrams. And I I didn't realize that it it could take so many levels of work of development you know of the plot of the of the layering of the story i was doing that with my mom i I didn't even realize that fantastic fantastic well let's talk about how you got to your debut novel which was cry of the flying rhino uh how did you get to that point because i believe am i right in thinking you had an encounter with an agent who read the first ten thousand words then asked to see the rest oh yeah was yeah, that... that's right. Yeah. yeah. Tell us about that. I had an that. agent. So um, I um, I did my MA at Middlesex University. And there I won a prize. I won a literary prize. And I, I was very, um, I was very hopeful. I never thought anybody would like read my work, let alone give me a prize. And it was a, it was a big cash prize. So um, then I realized that, you know, I'm very happy with this because the, the judge was Penelope Lively. Oh. And she said she had never read anything like this. This is really, you know, she was she was very very encouraging and really good to me, and I, I couldn't believe it because, um, I you know I'm not even from this country. I was writing in my in my uh, second language, so um, I was so I was feeling very encouraged by this, and I thought, okay, uh, I'm going to write a novel. So I think that's one of the first errors, isn't it? Like you write a short story and it's great. And now I'm going to write a novel. I'm done now. I'm, done. I'm not doing anymore. I'm finished. So I, I wrote a novel and then I got the agent almost immediately. Again, I think that, you know, there's something to be said for rejections because this agent, although helped me, I don't think she, she never got me a deal because the, 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 the first book was published through my own submission. Right. She didn't get me a deal after a long time, like a couple of years. And because I was inexperienced, I didn't know you could leave. I thought mm. I had to be with her until I die. I didn't <laughs> know you could leave. So, you know, and then one day another writer said, you can just, you can just say, yeah, bye. So, okay. So I, 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 I did that. And, and I kept asking her why, why, you know, I didn't realize that maybe it's, it was very literary. So I think that it, it needed something. It needed, you know, when you write literary fiction, it's got to have that, uh, 
it's got to have that crucial idea. It's got to have that idea that uh, makes it uh, totally different from any other, you know, from series, from any other kind of genres mm-hmm. where they follow tropes. Literary fiction uh, has the trope that is no trope. Mm-hmm. It's more about the all-consuming idea. So, um, so I don't think that was the right time for me or the right agent. And, and there is such a thing and people think that I'm going to just get an agent and that's it. I'm done now. You guys do everything. There's no such thing. It's got to be the right relationship. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. No, I've gone. I've gone through a few agents myself, Ivy. So I know. I okay. Know yeah. Then you know what I mean. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so tell us. Tell us about Cry of the Flying Rhino. How did? So did you self-publish that through your own imprint? Is that? Is that how you? Uh, no. So the Cry of the Flying Rhino was. Uh, it was published in Hong Kong by Proverse. Right. And that uh, I submitted it. And I won a prize for it, which I was, again, very chuffed. I won 10,000 Hong Kong dollars. So I flew out to Hong Kong. My whole family came, my parents as well. So um, it was uh, six years ago, I think. Six, yeah, six years ago. So we all went to Hong Kong. It was really nice. It's lovely. And um, I mean, it's such an exciting city. I don't know if you've been there, but it's it's so thrilling. It's like being, it's like being in, in a game, you know, it, it's so glittery and fast moving and it's so like uh, it's sort of vintage and high tech at the same time so I, I really enjoyed it and I, I thought this is very special you know to have my first book come out here and to to go to the award ceremony uh, and from since then I didn't have an agent like I had no agent after that right right okay well your sec- second novel Heart of Glass now like me you're an Unbound author. You published that through Unbound. That that's was, how I know you. That's yes. how I know of you. Yes, <laughs> and uh, so that was crowdfunding. Tell us about that experience. What was that like for you? I would say I have mixed feelings about it. Uh, it's good in the sense that I uh, have learned so much about mm. uh, finding audience. Uh, it's bad in the sense that I probably found the wrong audience because the audience wanted to support me but not my 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 book my project because the you know the theme of the project is something that people can't support again so i found that the audience was not as lasting as if they came to you on their own without having to like support you you know yeah um yeah. i don't know whether you found that as well with the yeah i found i found that um because i wrote what might be the first in a series of books. And I was in two minds about whether or not I should do the second book with Unbound. And I, I saw that people mm-hmm. who did second and third books with Unbound really struggled because it was the mm-hmm. the kind of thing it's like if you have a colleague in an office who runs a marathon, you you'll yeah. you'll you'll you know, you'll put some money up and you'll sponsor them for the marathon. But if they're doing one every week, you kind of get uh, the novelty yeah, wears yeah. off, you know. Uh, so yeah. I, I think yeah, they it's is a similar thing. They were supporting me but uh you know when the book goes out there and and unbound made a beautiful book great cover brilliantly edited they are very good at that yeah the yeah. production is top class absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. but it's just mm-hmm. kind of thrown out there and left to survive isn't it yeah yeah so i think in terms of like longevity is is i don't think it will i think it's good for like that kind of project where maybe it's unique as well like a one off or maybe it's like in a you know, for a good cause, like yeah. you already work for a good cause, and this is your, um, you know, this is your end game. 
yeah. you know, you want to play it out. It's, it's like a big show. And I think that's fine because you're going to get the top quality uh, uh, product at the end. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And did you... Yeah. Um, did you get your rights back to that as well? Because yeah, I've got, got my a, rights back yeah, because yeah. it's been five years now. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, me too. Me too. And so, uh, and I'm working on a sequel now. So, uh, you know, that will get out there. So, so yeah. After Heart of Glass, what happened then? What What was What was the next move for you? Um, I started an imprint, and I uh, published my uh, hang on my fourth, third, third and fourth novels. And they're more like experimental type. You know, they they are uh, trying to be commercial, but not fully yet. Like a bit commercial and a bit literary. But I thought that, hey, you know, this is my chance to to do what I wanted, to learn design, make my own covers. And uh, because I'm already, I already do design in my day job. So I thought I might as well put another arm on this and do, do graphic design. And so I, I think I learned a lot through that. And I, my, the, the uh, publishing imprint, Leopard Print, also publishes others. Right. Okay. Okay. And what so, sort of books are you looking for for, for Leopard Print? Um, we have published one memoir and an anthology of uh, Asian short stories. So I think at the moment we're doing something quite eclectic, but definitely on uh, for uh, marginalized writers. Mm-hmm. Fantastic stuff. Mm. But here we are. We've got The American Boyfriend, published by Penguin. It's got that lovely penguin on the spine. You know, uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's been a smash hit. So what's... Uh, what, how has that changed your approach to writing? You said, you know, some of the previous books were a little literary, a little commercial. Mm-hmm. Has it changed your attitude uh, and the way that you write at all, having had this hit? Um, I th- Most definitely. During the time when I was uh, doing Leopard Print, I already uh, was on the, uh, you know, on the journey towards writing much, much better books. Like I wanted to write top quality books that would be accepted by the top five because I realized that um, I can. I mean, I have won prizes before. I know that we all have this imposter syndrome and we feel really awful. Like what if it's really, really bad or what if it's just just an awful book that you just brought out, you know, that kind of feeling that, you know, um, you don't really, you don't really know because you're, you're still building your audience. So how do you know? Mm. You know, it's, it's very subjective, but then I wanted to make sure that I was writing much better. I was actually retraining myself in the last five years to write better and shorter books because I wanted books that would appeal to people who didn't read very much. So I wanted to write shorter sentences, paragraphs, chapters. The whole book has to be shorter. And they would think, oh, that's very thin. I'm going to read that. I'm in a reading slump. I haven't read anything for 74 years. Now I'm going to read this. So, you know, I feel that that was an aim. And I never aim to be, um, you know, to be traditionally published. I just want, my aim was to write much better books. So, um so I did all the things that you're supposed to do, attend classes, read tons, you know, read like 100 books in that year or whatever, just, you know, top books, reading top books to make sure I knew how it's done. So, you know, and, and I think that because uh, I was with Penguin, who are the best publisher I've ever had, right. 
they've made it a bestseller. I mean, of course, it's a collaborative effect, uh, uh, you know, effort because I work very, very hard at promoting and publicity and, you know, and marketing. But I still believe that no amount of buzz or hype or publicity can sell a bad book. It's got to be so good that the 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 publisher picks it up and thinks this is you know imagine how many hundreds of manuscripts they receive a day. It's got to be one that can just stand out, and they after the first page they're hooked, and it, this is such a great idea. I you know I want I want I want to read the whole thing. You know, that's what you want from somebody, like real excitement. And I, I'm still excited when sometimes I pick up book and I think, wow, this is so good. I can't wait to read to the end. And that's, you know, that's the kind of, um, that's the kind of emotion that you want to get from a reader is I think it's emotion more than anything. If you can get the emotion from page one, that's it. They will read the whole thing, you know. I I think that's absolutely right. Actually, I think it is. You, you get people on the hook, and you get them emotionally engaged. They'll go emotionally with you engaged. Yeah, 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 absolutely. When you were reading those hundred books and honing your craft and learning, I mean, what were the biggest lessons learned, and what, who were the authors that you thought they've got it nailed? They've they've sussed it. Um, I read. Uh, so I started reading in all genres to make sure that I'm not missing out on anything, right. and then I realized that the ones were most gripping were the emotionally gripping ones like uh gone girl yeah so they had that hook yeah okay so i was learning what is that hook so i learned from gone girl i learned from um lisa jewel right Rita mcfadden uh jennifer rose colin hoover colin hoover these these five so these are like authors that i enjoy reading because i feel that they're giving me what i want which is like kind of like well they're thriller thrillers so they're going to give me a bit of excitement on every page um and um and they're page turners so i'm learning from these bestsellers i know your podcast is called the bestseller experiment which is great (laughs) i love the name i just love that's your hook to be honest that's your hook (laughs) this is who, who wouldn't want to listen to it it's, you know. just, it's, it's fantastic to hear this because it's it's so nice to hear someone who's gone and studied those bestsellers, who's looked to them to figure out what makes them work and then applied it to their own writing. That is yeah. kind of kind of what we're all about. I, I want to talk about your writing routine as well, because as I understand it, you write by hand. Is that in the first place? Is that still part of your process? Uh, yeah, I write by hand, uh, same as because I work in design, so I draw by hand first. Like it has to be a sketch or whatever. It's basically I like diagrams. Diagrams make it really clear for me. So I can have flow charts. I have draw bar charts. I draw uh, grids. You know, like uh, storyboarding. You know, whatever diagrams make sense, I I'll get them down, and that's my first. Uh, that's the zero draft. I would say it's the first. Gotcha. It's a zero draft. Yeah. So once I kind of got the story worked out, because if you have diagrams, you can find the hook very fast. If you're starting to use words and all that, you're going to get cluttered because language clutters our you know ideas and thoughts, and they're not they're not going to make it clearer. They're going to make it worse because you keep having to fill in sentences and whatever. So, but the diagram you can see very clearly. You know, the picture says a thousand words right yeah. so with the diagram you get your hook your idea so you can map out like your uh what should happen at the end what is the narrative arc how should this character end up at the end you know what what would they get well, do they do, did they aim to get it or did did they not so um so those are more important to me than the the the, the first draft which is just typing that's the <laughs> the draft that you know my mother i can hear my mother's voice there she'll be helping me 
bang <laughs> bang out <laughs> the the gist of the you know the gist. So that's the narrative gist, like the rough, like the the the, the worst one, the first draft, like the one that no one should even look at and stuff. Mm. And um. And and then I kind of work on that's uh, you know that would be on my big Mac, and for the further drafts I tend to use the little Mac, uh, sorry the MacBook so that I can take it you know into my my office I have I have an office space or a cafe or you know take it into bed or whatever I can uh, work somewhere else but I always have the diagrams next to me the the first time I ever saw it, like my zero draft I will still have it with me. To remind me, uh, you know, what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, 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 what I love about that is, is with the diagrams, you're starting really big. It's mm. like a big overall vision. And then even, yeah. even the devices get smaller. So you move to the iMac and then you move to the MacBook. <laughs> and it, it sort of gets more and more intimate as you get yeah, along more and more detailed. Yeah, yeah. That's mm. terrific. Very that's funny. Just... Yeah. It's really, I love that. I love that visual. I mean, you've created the, you know, the sequence. Yeah. 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 That's terrific. That's terrific. Now, listen, I know you're in a band, Satsuma, and my co-presenter Mr. D, he's he's he has a band as well and he's constantly making references uh you know relations between uh music and writing fiction and creating generally. How does your music uh and making inform your writing and does your writing inform your music making? How are the two sort of related for you? I, you know, it's a very good question because I think all the creative um, processes are related. Mm. Uh, I know that people say, oh, no, 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 you know, it, it can't be. How can baking be related to whatever, uh, you know, painting? They're all related because you have to start with the concept, the idea, the hook. And for my music writing, I usually start with beats because beats give me a sense of the, the next stage, the pacing. And the, the feel, the mood of it, like, is it going to be very dark, atmospheric? Is it going to be, you know, um, like like a film, like uh, a soundtrack, sort of orchestral? Mm -hmm. So from the beats, I can tell what's next. And I might even switch it off when I'm when I'm putting on the other layers, when I'm writing the other the layers. I might even switch off the beat. But it's going to be always there because I think that it sets the BPM and, and you know, I'm, I'm ready to go. Even like the guitar soloing on the piano, I do. I I play both guitar and the keys, so I try to, uh, I try to write the parts that suit, you know, the beats. So it always comes back to that for me, and that's right. the, you know, the, it's the heart, it's the heartbeat of of my song, um, and and um, I don't draw diagrams with uh music. So in that sense, I'm not gonna because I'm using, uh, music isn't visual for me. It's all auditory. So I try to. I try to work it out based on uh, things that, that match, that go together. So it's more like design in the sense that it's like, okay, this typography goes with this artwork or this color palette, uh, you know, goes with these shapes. So um, it's more like that, like mixing and matching all these items that belong to like a wardrobe, for example. It feels like I'm making, I'm making up a, a complete like outfit or whatever, you know, like, like a meal. I, I, Mm, I think that's that's quite a good. I think that's that's a good way to put it. I like but it. Put I like together it very much. all the yeah 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 excellent stuff. Fantastic, Ivy. It's been an absolute joy speaking to you. What's coming next after the American Boyfriend? What's what's lined up after that? I've started to write a uh, another psychological thriller that is set in London, and um, I usually work on 
the zero draft and the first draft. I tried to start a project in November because I think that's uh, it's bad weather, and it's also uh, NaNoWriMo. I don't know whether you you uh, I I like doing NaNoWriMo because that's the the aim is fifty thousand words. Mm, yeah. Obviously, I never get there. <laughs> I usually I usually can can do about probably twenty thousand, and that's when it stops. So at least I'll get you know I'll get there. And yeah. the last twenty thousand words. Um, I did write it during the last November, the um, the NaNoWriMo last year. It's been a year and I haven't touched it because um, I was too busy after getting signed. Right. And I, I, I think you know what that's like, isn't it? That's what uh, David Bowie said, that when I'm an artist, I'm a 100% artist. And when I'm a businessman, I'm a 100% businessman. Right. So therefore, it, it's just impossible to put in the... Um, the creative drive. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially if you're touring all, all over, you know, touring all over cool. Southeast Asia. That's incredible, incredible stuff. Well, listen, we look forward to it with bated breath, Ivy. This is just fantastic. But until then, folks, grab a copy of The American Boyfriend. It's out there now. It's uh, an absolute page-turning, gripping thriller. It's terrific stuff. Ivy, it's been an absolute delight. Come back and speak to us again next time, will you? Thank you so much, Mark. Really enjoyed that. It's fantastic to chat with you. Do you know what, Mark? About an hour before I listened to that interview, um, I was—I mentioned earlier that I was working on my dream declaration, and one of the things I wrote down was about airport bookstores. Right. And then I heard—I couldn't believe it when I heard—and I think this is a—I don't know if I—I I, I mean, what do you? Did you? Were you inspired by airport bookshops when you were younger? Did you always kind of get excited being around them and always oh, absolutely. going? Absolutely. Well, yeah. just being just being airside just being is exciting. Air. Yes. The, the, because look, we. Uh, listeners, in the extended version, we're going to do a whole thing about routes to market, and we, we're going to include airside bookshops in that. About you know, the high street bookstore and online is not just the only place where your books are sold, and airside is a big component of whether or not your book gets acquired, and not every book gets into them. So there is a there is a kind of special uh, thrill of seeing those books uh, on airside. And um, I didn't, I never, funny enough, it's one of the accounts I never looked after. I never looked after an airside account, um, but I had colleagues who did. And on a few occasions, I was in, you have to get security passes and everything, uh, you know, to go airside. And one of the best times ever was when we took Jeff Hurst, legendary England footballer who scored the hat trick in 1966. Because yeah. when I was at Headline, we did his autobiography and we took him airside and he did a signing. I mean, this is, you know, Ivy's going, uh, you know, I think it was was it Singapore Airport. She did her signing. And she said, "WH Smith said we don't do this very often, and they really don't." And it was like she's up there with Jeff Hurst as one of the people they're getting in to do signings. So um, yeah, that was uh, that was fantastic day. Really good day. Nice so we've man, been work- Jeff. Very nice. We've man. been we've been working on we've been working on uh, milestones for authors over a number of years, and um, and books getting your book in an airport bookstore is on the list. It's been on the list. Absolutely. But what I'm going to add to the list is doing a book signing like signing books at a, at an airport bookstore and i just had this visual like you know she talked about this massive pile of books in the bookstore and i'm like it brings a whole new reason meaning to the word uh, the mile high club doesn't it i mean <laughs> you could actually if you could t- if you could do that like it, it there's something about the the type of books they have at the airport they're, they're, do they still make are they still different when they pre do they still pre-release them before they come well out? i want to talk about this in the okay. extended version because there's a whole thing there's in this what whole... i will tell you though is that whenever certain authors who i won't name 
that have been interviewed on this podcast, when certain authors flew in to certain airports, the the poor account manager was told, right, so-and-so's flying in. You've got to make sure their books are on the shelves because they're going to check. And if they weren't on there, someone got their ear chewed off. So there's that oh, side of it as well. The big famous <laughs> authors come in and they're like, yeah, I flew into Gatwick. None of my books were there. What's going on? So maybe that's all bookshops are in airports. They're just authors that are flying around and they're actually just usually empty shells, but it's all these like panicking account managers filling with their books. Love it. Oh my gosh. I, I think it's great. I always, I always remember as a kid, um, I used to get excited. Like I think it was even Stephen King novels. I'd always look out because you'd buy a novel and it would, and it would be a pre-release or, you know, it wouldn't be available in the bookstores yet. And that you felt really special. And, but Loads to chat about in the extended folks, if you're interested in that. Um, I, I absolutely love, I love it. I love it. I also think that the story of uh, Ivy moving into that massive house and have this yes. visual of this little kind of nine-year-old girl walking in. And vast shelves. Vast <laughs> shelves. I'm thinking like cathedral ceilings. This is what, yeah, yeah. where I went. And this kind of like, you can even just see the image of this tiny little, you know, girl looking up at this like massive. Like the scene from Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly. And it's like, you know, there's like in one of those bookshops, so you've got one of those like um, ladders on wheels because yeah, you can't yeah. actually get, get up to those top shelves. But what an incredible start to her life in literature to, yes. to move into a house full of books i just that, i just love that but don't forget they are all boring books like the history of the economy of malaysia you yeah. know, which if you're nine years old isn't terribly interesting yeah. but it clearly fired her imagination and i love the fact that she started telling stories to entertainer brothers but would change and improve the endings when she didn't approve of them <laughs> <laughs> brilliant it's fantastic but it seems that, that that introduction to all of that world of books, she talked about this idea of traveling in her mind. I love that analogy great, of yeah. like, you, you don't, you, you know, obviously we all love to go away. We all love to go on a holiday, but that's what, that's such a beautiful description of what a book enables us to do. It's like, we literally, I mean, she talked about escapism and, you know, just been able to like travel in, in your mind. And then she went to the library and then discovered where all the, the books that she wanted to read were well that's and that, that's the thing we all have access to a palace of books and it's called a library and yeah. it's all there for the taking you know so i think even if we don't move into a big house with that that beauty and the beast car in the library there's usually one up the road you know or there might be a mobile one that comes around or or might be one in your school you know so um yeah i always i always feel at home in a library they've just revamped our one in Hearn bay it's, oh, it's great they? Yeah, it's fantastic. Oh, yeah, it's lovely. I, I, I have a, a libraries. I have a special place. They have a special mm. place in my heart, and and I'm a big supporter of our libraries because I, I, I never want to see them disappear. I, I want them mm. to to grow and thrive, and I want to see them filled with kids because that for me would be a representation of just, you know, the shift and change that that, it, that they're making in, in in the world, the next generations who are coming through. Exactly. Yeah, you must have, you must have gone to the one in Leatherhead, the White Mansion House. Oh, all the time. I went in Every there recently. Week. I went in there this year because I I literally um, uh, I drove past uh, Leatherhead Library and I just thought, mm. and I literally stopped and I turned around and I went in, and it yeah. completely threw me because as a kid, mm. you know, as, you know how you kind of remember. <laughs> was it's it massive almost, in your memory when you were it a kid? Was it's a tiny little building now. Yeah. <laughs> it was massive. But I think if everyone thinks back now to the to their library of, you know, the library you remember as a kid, um, first of all, like you say, yeah, it's it is it's like that scene of the nine-year-old going into the, the big house. Yeah, yeah. Um but 
everything about that library has nostalgia for me. The smell of the library, the feeling I got, the excitement I got going in there and, and going to the cassette racks yes. and spinning the cassette racks and, you know, taking out a cassette. Do you remember you used to, I used yep, to well take that, those that's where I first. That's where I first got. Pink Floyd's "Momentary Lapse of Reason" on cassette, right? Yeah, which, I, was, which, I know that. I know the one. Like, yeah, and it I remember out seeing like an accordion. Yeah, I remember yeah. seeing it on the rack. Yeah, and do you want to know something? You want to know something weird? Right, a, a few years ago, Phil Manzanera, who's the guitarist in Roxy Music, got married there in that very building because they do registry. Oh, it's the registry, it's a registry yeah. office, office as well. He got yeah. married there. And David Gilmore from Pink Floyd was a guest, and <laughs> Phil Manzanera wrote a song. On a momentary lapse of reason, he co-wrote One Slip with David Gilmore. So Pink Floyd trivia there. But uh, yeah, weird coincidence. Anyway, How carry on. Mad. <laughs> so <laughs> but I just, I, I, I just, everything about those childhood memories of the library, um, you know, walking up with the big circular card. Was it, did they have big like circular cards? Or am I imagining that? No, and, they and, were, they were my cards. They were, because you had a, a piece of card that opened up and then you'd slip something in it do you remember yeah, that you'd slip something i do in you take it to the desk <laughs> i can't remember how it worked it anyway when i went back there <laughs> when i went back there it's probably been about 20 years since i'd actually yeah. been in it and they completely have redone it like the mm. half of it they've, they've i oh, i was standing in there and i couldn't work out no the orientation because it like they and it was such a weird and it was fiction and children's on the left and non-fiction on the right yeah yeah, yeah. And, and the creaking I, the creaking floorboards. Yes, yes, right. Creaking They're still there. And you go uh, you go left and round the corner was the science fiction section, which is where I used to find all my favourite books. And then I go over to nonfiction and find the books on ghosts, UFOs, and nuclear That's war because right. I was a warped little boy. Nuclear <laughs> <laughs> war! Oh my god, there was there was you, there was a book there on um, what happens in the nuclear war. And uh, things like mustard gas. I, I was, I was just hooked. I kept you were taking well it into out. it. I was. Oh, Do you know? I just boy. had the weirdest thought, Mark. I just had the weirdest thought because we really didn't get to know each other until I kind of, you know, post school adult life. Yeah. So we must we, have bumped into each we other. We were probably <laughs> in that library for no hours doubt. together, yeah. standing next to each other, looking at books, walking past each other. I think yeah. that's probably how I knew of you through our f- school friend group. But isn't that weird to think that we were just like, and, and here we are, like all these years later doing a podcast, probably in, very much influenced by all those books that we picked yeah, out. No doubt. Absolutely. Just mad. So anyway, Absolutely. if you've got a favorite library that you want to <laughs> shout out to us, we should probably do a whole special on Library Smart because it just, I love it. But if you have a favorite library that you want to shout out from maybe when you were a child, Drop us a message um, through the website. Come over and click on the contact us. We want to hear about it and maybe a little story about your uh, your favourite library um, and what that brings up for you. But um, I think looking at you know the other part of of our education as as younger was parent education and how much our parents either did or didn't encourage us to read and how much um, they took part in our kind of learning. And one thing that Ivy talked about was this wonderful story about her her i kind of sounded like her mum was her pa it's like yeah yeah take a letter <laughs> take a letter mrs jones you know i think of barbara cartland waltzing around in her like you know flower dress. <laughs> okay, i've just i've just thought of another novel darling it's, it's just take, uh, yeah, exactly just just please yeah. and because that's how she wrote a ton of her books she just would like read them to her she'd speak them out loud to her pa yes. and i just think of this mum but i think Ivy's mum, I think we have to give her more credit than being just a PA. I've got a sense that Ivy's mum 
saw a massive opportunity. She saw that obviously Ivy was fascinated with reading and writing. And it was an opportunity for her mum to engage with her on a project that she wanted to do. And um, I was thinking of what this is kind of called, and it's like this idea of parenting, mentoring, um, and educating your child because they've come up with the idea and it's an opportunity for you to engage with them. And I do this with my kids all the time. Like I, I would sit at the dinner table and talk about, you know, a business idea or something or try and teach them about an economics concept, a pretty boring meal sometimes at our house. But the kids would glaze over naturally, like dad's off on one again. But then when my daughter wanted to set up a, she wanted to set up a, a little bakery in the house. She wanted to sell bake cookies and sell cookies. And I said, oh, well, I can help you with that. And we sat down and I actually got her at nine years of age building a spreadsheet with formulas to work out all the costs, you know, peanut butter, chop, chop chips and, you know, the, the, the flour. And we broke it all down. And then when she started taking orders, or she built a website, she started taking orders from the website and she had like stock control spreadsheet at nine years of age. Now, there's no way I could ever have sat her down and said, hey, let me teach you how to do spreadsheets. You had your nine-year-old doing spreadsheet. I'm calling social services. But you're right. It's a, it's, a, it's a fine line, isn't it? Because when you see your kids are interested in something, you don't want to come on too heavy because you'll just frighten them off. Yeah. They'll kind of, it's overwhelming. It's like, oh gosh, uh, this is just too much. And they'll back away. But you've got to nurture it, haven't you? You've got to encourage and it and make it think it's their idea. Because yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's what Ivy's mum was doing because that's, yeah. you know, to sit nurture there and, and, and I'm sure there, you know, she was obviously transcribing for Ivy and typing things. But I bet you that every session they did, there were lots of conversations about grammar and the mum was kind of, being her editor as they as as she created her stories. So I think massive props to to like any parent out there that sees that opportunity in their child to say, okay, let me engage with something the child's interested in. I'm going to use it as an opportunity to kind of like teach them useful things that are going to be helpful in later life. So I think that's amazing. I mean, we talk about the Julies, you know, the partners that support adult authors, but I think we don't put enough focus on the role of the parent. And the teacher. I mean, there's teachers that, you know, brilliant teachers that encourage kids to write stories and sit with them at lunchtimes. And, you know, when they should be having their hour off, they sit with them mm -hmm. and they maybe edit their story or they read the story out to the class. And every time one of my kids' stories was read out in class, they always came back and, oh, yeah, they read my story out. It's such an important part of that process. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, if you're a parent and you've got, a, you've got a, you know, a child that you're finding it hard to engage with, you're finding it hard to like get them interested, like find what they're interested in and then meet them where they're at. And maybe, maybe there's another Ivy out there who's going to develop, yeah. you know, into an incredible author in their, in their adult years. Absolutely. Apologies, apologies to any listeners you can hear creaking on my end. I think my daughter and her boyfriend are moving furniture around. <laughs> it's like I'm on the galleon at sea. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got rain drumming on my roof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. So if you can hear the pier as well. As, yes, it's unbelievable. Like, uh, yeah, storm's picking up. I anyway, can't hear, on any, we go. I can't hear any creaking, Mark, okay, so that's all good. 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 Um, let's talk about emotion. We should reference this again because only I think was it even last week or two weeks it was last ago, week Heather Morris last Morris, week and in the extended I did the thing on yeah. writing on emotion yeah, yeah exactly yeah. but I love the way that that Ivy talked about when you asked her how you know what kind of what kind of genres did you read and she said I I, re I read all genres but what I was always found in the books that I I loved was that they were all about emotion mm -hmm. and she referenced 
a certain book that's had a little bit of a, a theme on this podcast called Gone Girl. And Mark, I had, I, I stopped the podcast. I stopped the recording at that point. I thought, oh, I've got to write this down. So Mr. State, um, have you read Gone Girl yet? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> for anyone who has, for anyone who's wondering why we're laughing, this has been—I don't know how many times I've asked you that question uh, over the well, seven first years. First year, it was like every episode. Every episode, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, I'm, I'm going to have to put it out there, Mister State. Like as a dream declaration, um, are you willing to take this on? Like before Christmas, are you are you willing? Would you have the time to, to audiobook even? Just to work out what's... I've not read it. That's the other thing. I'm curious as to what... I've seen the film. The film was brilliant. Okay. (laughs) But yeah, I probably should should know. Maybe someone should send us a synopsis about why... What the emotional element is in Gone Girl. Because I'm curious because obviously that I should read it and report back, shouldn't I? I should... I mean, look... If you have time... I mean... I've I've met Gillian Flynn. I've read her other books. I've got a signed copy of one of her other books. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've just stopped read. I tell you what, I I can confess this now. Because when I worked at Orion and it was sales were through the roof, it was amazing. And I was just late to it. I hadn't got around to reading it. And everyone was banging on about how good it was. And you know when everyone's telling you how brilliant something is and you just go, well, why should I bother? Well, also you don't want to read it in case you feel disappointed by it. It's like when someone tells you about the amazing movies. So now we're away from all the hype. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll happily give it a go. She's well, maybe, a great wait, maybe if you do read it, maybe that's the reason why she hasn't come on the podcast yet. She just well left Mark's not going to Well, I tell you why she hasn't come on the podcast yet. It's because she hasn't written anything, any novels since. She's been working in TV and film land. Uh, uh, so she's been, because that's where yeah. she started. She started writing about TV and film. Then she wrote best-selling novels. And now she's off writing screenplays and, wow. and TV shows. So, Incredible. Yeah. Incredible life. Well, there we go. Well, Gillian, if you're listening, you want to come on the show, you are very welcome. Um, let's just have a quick run through because there's so much, I've written so many notes on this interview. Um, so folks, we, as we, as we always like to, with the extended, we're going to go deeper into um, the interview with Ivy and some of the things that have really interested, interested us and hopefully will be of use to you as, as authors as well. So what we're going to talk about in the extended, we're going to start about talking about routes to market, which Mark mentioned earlier, we're going to kind of delve into you know how you can get your book out there, and also a little little bit of the magic behind the uh, airside, you know, sales in in airports. We're also going to talk about um, how you can leave your agent um, in a in a in a in a good way, and, and we'll delve into that in a bit more because Ivy said that she was quite surprised that she didn't realise that was the case. But I think even if you don't have an agent, it's super important that you understand the process all the way through because sometimes it doesn't work out. We're also going to discover why no amount of hype and marketing and publicity can sell a bad book. And I know, Mark, you've got some things to say about that. <laughs> um, we're also going to talk about that little throwaway quote at the end she said about David Bowie being 100% creative or 100% business focused. And we're going to delve a bit into what that means and how you can set your day up to maybe structure that. And finally, we're going to delve into my top few apps that I like to use for visual writing and planning. Um, Ivy talks about the first draft, the zero draft, and uh, I love to draw diagrams and for my th- very <laughs> visual. So I'll be um, I'll be kind of feeling a few of those. So folks, if you'd like to join us in the extended, and at the same time get that lovely, warm, good feeling of supporting this podcast, just pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. So, Mister Stay, what are the wins this week? Lots from the Academy, some great stuff from the Academy. So Zoe Richards, who joined the Academy relatively recently, 
And I know she was worried about the edits that she was getting back from her, her publisher. She said, I did it. I finished my edits on time. I've just sent the manuscript back to my editor, Few. And I was zoning over. I've had long conversations on uh, in the craft coaching and in the weekly surgery about her edit and uh it's brilliant it's fantastic she's got it in there so congratulations zoe take a take a break celebrate however you want to celebrate but that is really really good news brilliant zoe well done uh and william group also in the academy uh, says i'm jumping on the wind bandwagon uh the wind bandwagon not the wind bandwagon i don't know what that is uh, he says i finished <laughs> the first draft of the third book in the tainted war saga and i've read the first two and they're Blooming awesome. It, it really, really good urban fantasy. So do check it out. Uh, William says, if it all goes to plan, it will be av- available at the beginning of the summer, just a year after book two. Thanks to the 200 Word a Day Chat Challenge and the Bestseller Academy, I finish this in one third of the time. Thanks for everyone's wow. support. Brilliant. Fantastic That's stuff. Really, brilliant. really big congratulations to you, William. It's fantastic. And course. a great achievement as well. And you know, oh, just so excited to see where where. William's uh, kind of series goes as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Anne Woodward in the Academy, as she said, at last I can share my news. Yesterday I signed a contract with Northodox Press, who will be publishing my murder mystery novel under its new name, The Art of Murder. I'm unbelievably happy and excited and feeling a little bit sick, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Oh, my gosh. And huge congratulations. I know she's been sitting on this news for quite some time. She hasn't been able to sort of let it out there, but that is brilliant. I really, really look forward to that. It's going to be so chuffed, Van. And it couldn't happen to a nicer person as well. Anne's absolutely Absolutely. lovely. Absolutely. Such a lovely spirit. Um, Jackie Kirkham, talking about libraries earlier, uh, she says, I have a win to share to following in Gavin Ralph's and Kate Baker's footsteps. Uh, I went to the local library where I donated a couple of copies of my book, The Calm Place, a few weeks ago. They phoned me a few days ago to tell me the book had been catalogued centrally and was now out on the shelves, one in the local library, the other in the big library in the city centre. Uh, they also currently have an exhibition uh, of historic photos and books about our little current corner of sterling so i was interested to see that when i got there today i couldn't see my book on the local shelf but never mind maybe someone had taken it out blah 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 then i went to the desk with the books i wanted to take out the librarian told me that they displayed my book alongside the local history exhibition they'd labeled it book of the month and made it clear it was by a local author and she said it got snapped up and checked out almost immediately i think this might be the first time it's being read by someone who doesn't actually know me so definitely achievement unlocked a day well and truly made libraries are amazingly hashtag support your library jackie book of the month yes perfect oh what an amazing story and jackie was and very kindly sent a copy over to me in canada as well and it's it's absolutely beautiful book it's uh so well written and i'm so chuffed that isn't well i mean we were asking for library stories earlier and there's one out the gate so folks if yeah i mean i love the idea of donating your book to the library what a brilliant idea to do that just to go along you'd have to wait to find a publisher and hope it gets in that way just just go and gift it to your local library fantastic Yeah. So, and the book is The Calm Place. We'll stick a link in the show notes so you can check that out. Um, another interesting uh, achievement as well. Morgan Delaney uh, got in touch. He's in the BXP group on Facebook. He says, Now I know how Harry Styles feels. 
I'm on the cover of a magazine. He says, I've got a short story in Parsec, magazine number eight, which the editor kindly describes as a highly disturbing love stroke lust story. So uh, check out the latest edition of Parsec magazine for a peek inside Laura's suitcase. You'll never look at luggage in the same way again. I'll stick a link in the show notes to that. But yes, there is Morgan's name on the cover with all the other authors. In fact, he's dead center with great positioning. So excellent stuff. Congrats on that, uh, Morgan. Great stuff. Fantastic, Mike. We're gonna. That's like an extended edition of wins this week. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. Well, well done to everyone out there. And look, if you've got some fun, happy, and exciting news that you want to share with us to share with the world, then please do drop us a note. And you can do that by simply going along to the contact form on our website, bestsellerexperiment.com. Drop a message to myself and Mark. Uh, we do read every message. So tell us something that you want to celebrate, big or small, because that's what we're about here. We want to celebrate mm-hmm. your successes. Uh, whilst you're there, click on the newsletter tab and sign up to the bestseller experiment newsletter and get weekly updates on everything that's happening at bestseller experiment hq and mark if people want to catch up with us on socials yes we're on facebook bestseller experiment and twitter instagram and threads we are at bestseller xp and if you've been inspired by ivy or any of the guests that we've had on the podcast please subscribe give us a rating give us a review and thanks as always to our editors Dave and JD who have a lot to do this week (laughs) (laughs) brilliant folks so thank you so much for joining us do spread the word if there's anything on this podcast that you think someone needs to hear one of your friends tell them about the episode send them a link uh, spread the word and uh, help us inspire more writers to, to write their best books and we look forward to catching up with you again next week folks so it's a goodbye from Mark 1 and a goodbye from Mark 2 Bye. Goodbye.